I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. Yeah. That will be us. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Um, I had quite a week. Yeah, you did. I thought my plane was going to fall out of the sky. Oh, that must have been so scary. It was so scary. It was so dumb. I was, like, delayed, like, four hours. And just, ugh, it was such a pain in the ass. Like, it was just, ugh. I feel so bad for everyone that has ever had a plane delayed like that. Because I can't imagine having to, like, stay overnight at the airport. Like... Because no, my plane, yeah. like, my flight gets canceled or something. Oh. The storms were kind of crazy that day. Yeah. But it sucks because I was only in Knoxville. Like, I wasn't even that far away. I know, yeah. And then you had turbulence, right, on one yeah. of your flights? So bad. Uh, <sighs> just you talking about it stresses me out. And then literally, like, well, it stressed me out because I was in Ohio, right? And, like, right when I landed, all of my social medias all would just keep showing me plane crashes like the whole time anywhere that i looked it was a plane crash like on the tv on my tiktok and instagram and everything and i was like what the fuck so i was already stressed to begin with your algorithm was like hey you're in an airport let's just give you worst case scenarios (laughs) for real i don't know why i did that that was kind of stupid and mean my fbi agent if you're tailoring my they're not looking out for you no Okay, so today I kind of want to just jump in because this is long. I'm going to be talking a lot. Sorry. But um, I've been wanting to cover this case for literally ever um, because it happened really close to where I grew up. Oh. Near Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Shout Clee. And it happened in a little town called Bay Village, which is like right by Lake Erie. So I like... I feel like I am connected. (laughs) Not really, because I wasn't alive, but I lived in the general vicinity. That's interesting. Yeah, so today I'm going to be covering the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic. Okay, this is new to me. Really? I think so. Oh, I got lots to say. So I'm just going to jump in because I got 11 pages of notes. So buckle up, Buster. She's been at it the past two days. I really have. I just finished like t- 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Not proofread. So there's some error of spelling errors in there. Not information errors, but spelling. Amy Renee Mahalovic was born on December 11th, 1978 in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Amy had an older brother named Jason who was two years older than her. And Amy and Jason were born to parents Margaret McNulty and Mark Mahalovic. And after Amy's murder, Margaret and Mark did get a divorce. So I'm using Margaret's like maiden name, but obviously at the time she was Margaret Mahalovic. Gotcha. So Margaret and Mark married in 1972 after meeting while they were in high school in West Allis, Wisconsin. Oh, cute. High school sweetheart. Yes. So sweet. And In 1984, the Mahalovic family moved out of Little Rock, Arkansas to the small city of Bay Village, Ohio. 
because they believed it was a safer city and a good small town to raise their kids and grow their family and be cute little family on the lake. Why is that such a familiar scenario in true crime? Right? Well, it makes me think of um, J.C. Dugard. Okay, yeah. Because her family moved to um, wherever it was in California because they thought it was safer. I know, yeah. Oftentimes in these cases, these families will point out that, you know, they got away from this big city and moved to this small town that was safe. Right? And Bay Village was a very safe town. It was a cute little small town, pretty much on Lake Erie. So a lot of families would move there as kind of like a vacation town in Ohio. You know, I do love like the Great Lakes and all like I have a lot of memories of not Lake Erie, but uh, Lake Superior. Just like visiting like little towns in the area. And then I have family members who are like who lived nearby Lake Superior. So I just I love those little towns up north. Yeah. Me too. I have a lot of memories dipping my little piggies in Lake Erie. Yes. Uh, Cedar Point, the like roller coaster is like right above Lake Erie. Like, uh-huh. it, like it's right on Lake Erie. And Geauga Lake, shout my Ohio people who know Geauga Lake. But yeah, Bay Village was so cute and is very low crime. In 1989, which was the year that Amy disappeared, there were no reported rapes, kidnappings, or abductions. And there was only three robberies, two assaults, and 12 car thefts. That's like it in the entire year. That sounds pretty safe, honestly. Right? I was like, dang. But that's how I feel like in my hometown, the police be bored as hell. Trying to catch anyone for uh, speeding. For speeding, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Mark Mahalovic worked for Buick while living in Little Rock, and then he was transferred to Ohio when they moved. And he worked as a field rep which meant that he like handled complaints and warranties and things like that and margaret worked for a trading times magazine in westlake ohio shout westlake <laughs> now i'm just gonna give some background on amy who i think seems like the coolest kid ever on the planet and i feel like i was so if i was around in the 80s i feel like this is like what i would be doing okay uh, so Amy was a bit of a tomboy, which same, I was the same I way. I was a tomboy. Growing up, literally yeah. so bad. <laughs> same. And she was very independent. She was super hands-on, took initiative. She was super outgoing. And like I said, she reminds me a lot of myself when I was a kid. Because I was the same, same exact way. I was yeah. like kind of acting like an adult. And I wanted to be an adult. And I would jump into conversations as if I was an adult oh I can see that you yeah that makes sense (laughs) and that's exactly what Amy did too she would jump into adult conversations as if she was an adult herself and her best friend Christy Sabo says that she remembers Amy as a tomboy who loved golden girls and dirty dancing and had a really big crush on Patrick Swayze yeah (laughs) yes oh my god I bet it was fun to be a kid in the 80s right I think about that too I mean, I'm sure it was, like, I mean, I'm sure it was, like, similar to when, like, you're a kid and, like, you don't have access to, like, you know, a phone or, like, anything like that. And you're outside playing until, like, the streetlights turn on. You got to go Yeah, home. I mean, that's kind of how my childhood was, like, in the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And, like, my parents didn't jump on the bad bandwagon. <laughs> the bad of, wagon. Uh, the bad wagon of, uh, 
you know, TV and video games and all that. So I pretty much was outside all the time. Yeah. But I, I imagine that's kind of what the 80s was like, too, maybe. But I don't know. I wasn't alive. But yeah, it does sound like a fun time. So Amy and her mom, Margaret, were very close. And Amy was even called Margaret's little shadow. Oh. And her mom called Amy a chitter chatterbox, which <laughs> me too, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, Amy was a tomboy and she was referred to as Ragamuffin by her friend Christie's parents. Ragamuffin. Isn't that so okay, cute? I know, because she would be like messy and untidy because she'd been like, you know, doing her thing all day. Yeah. And she really, really loved animals specifically horses i wasn't a horse girl growing up but i, I was understand. a horse girl <laughs> did you have like the horse folders yeah <laughs> i feel like it was a staple every horse girl had the folder with the horse head on it i don't know yeah the horses running i had yes i had a <laughs> lot of like horsey themed things i had like a blanket i had oh, posters no. i collected like statues i had like a a riding helmet did you ever actually like ride yeah. horses? Oh, yeah. that's cute. My, my best friend growing up was a horse girl. Oh, so. yeah. No, my mom's best friend uh, had two horses. So, and she lived like an hour and a half, two hours away. So, like every few months, we got to go up and ride oh, her horses. That's cute. Or hang out with them and like help her like on the farm and in the stalls and stuff. That was like my favorite so thing cute. to do. Yeah, my best friend growing up was a horse girl, so no horse girl slander, no hate. <laughs> no, horse don't girls. hate. <laughs> so yeah, she loved horses. She rode horseback at a stable called Holly Hills, and her favorite horse to ride was named Razzle. Razzle, which is so cute. I like it. And she loved going to the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center and the Bay Square uh, Shopping Center after school to get Baskin Robbins. And I feel this so hard because in middle school, we used to do the same thing and like walk to the Dairy Queen, the Dairy Queen, (laughs) walk to the Dairy Queen after school or like go to this little shop, like right by, uh, like down the street a little bit from our middle school. So it like made you feel so independent and cool to just like go, go get ice cream after school when you're like 10 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, Dairy Queen, I know this is totally off topic. It's kind of newer to the south at least like oh uh like it's always been in the south just like kind of far and few between but i Mm -hmm. think they've built up more in recent years but um i always just used to attach it to being in the north and being in the midwest i feel Uh, because i'm obviously from the midwest (laughs) so he said that as a memory i was like oh yeah yeah that makes sense (laughs) no it makes sense yeah i loved going to dairy queen as a kid literally all the time so Amy and her brother, Jason, were latchkey kids, which was very common. In I was like, a latch, latchkey yeah, kid. In the 80s and 90s and, you know. Can't talk today. <laughs> I feel like I can't either. It's a good thing I'm not. Give me that episode. Yeah, this isn't my episode or else. Poor Emily. No, it's okay. So... When Jason and Amy got out of school, their parents would still be at work and their usual routine would be to let themselves into the house and then call their mom to let them know that they got home. And this was just like the normal routine. Every day after school, they would just do that, let themselves in, give their mom a call and be like, hey girl, I'll be home. And then carry on, do whatever. 
Jason spent most of his time making model cars in the basement or helping out neighbors with chores, which is Aww, so that's precious. Sweet. Yes. He's so, like, there's still interviews with him that, like, are very recent, and yeah. he just seems like such a nice dude. Like, it's just Aww, so cute. That's so wholesome. Isn't it? Yeah. And Amy was super outgoing, so she had a super easy time making friends, and she would hang out with her friend Christy all the time, and she had that rule that you were allowed to be out until the streetlights came on and then you had to go home so amy was just very adventurous and she was super loving and she just seemed like such a great kid like she just seemed so cute cute right so in 1989 amy and jason were both attending bay village middle school amy was 10 years old and in fifth grade while jason was 12 years old and in seventh grade so at their school they're the younger grades would get out earlier than the older grades, which is, like, kind of strange to me, but I don't, like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird, but Amy was released from school at around 2.05 every day, and Jason was released from school at around 3.05. So Amy would usually be on her own for, like, an hour out of every day because she and Jason rode their bikes to and from school every day, so Amy would usually just ride her bike back to the house and call her mom that she let her know that she made it back and just go on about her day or go to the shopping center and get ice cream with her friends after telling her parents of course yeah but i don't know i just think that's a little strange it is strange but it's probably a lot more strange to us in this day and age oh yeah back then that was I mean, the norm. Bade Village is such like a small town. Like Amy could walk. Like she rode her bike to school. So like she can probably walk to and from school. Like they didn't live that far away. Everything was very close. So yeah. I mean, it's not that weird, but I don't know. Like you're I never really understood the concept of kids getting out like little kids getting out earlier than older kids because like parents be having to work, you know what yeah. I mean? No, that's true. But Amy's usual routine would change on Friday, October 27th, 1989, and it would change the lives of everyone in Bay Village, Ohio. So on the morning of October 27th, 1989, Amy told her mother that she would be coming home from school late that day because she was planning on auditioning for the fifth grade choir. And at 7.20 a.m., Amy left for school on her cute little aqua-colored bike. Oh, I know. And Jason had already left that morning. Uh, Sometimes they would go together. But this day, Jason decided to go to school a little bit earlier. And in an interview that he gave, like, very kind of more recently, he said, like, during this time, they weren't super close because he was, you know, he was, like, teenager. Amy was still, like, young, 10 years old. So they just started getting closer during this time. So that makes sense. Yes. She had on a pale green sweatsuit with lavender trim, a plain white nylon windbreaker, black leather ankle boots with vertical rows of silver studs, and turquoise earrings that were in the silhouette of a horse head. And they were mounted on little gold studs. Aww. So she was stepping out in yes. her freaking Friday best. Yeah. She also had a blue denim backpack with red piping and plastic black buckles. And inside of her backpack, she had a leather folder with a brass clap, clasp that had the Buick logo on it and the slogan, Best in Class, etched in it. 
And Amy obviously got this from her dad's work. So it was pretty rare because it wasn't just given out to everybody. Yeah, that's it true. It was, um, like, very unique and was only given out to, like, the employees of this Buick. Yeah. Amy was four foot ten and weighed 90 pounds and had straight blonde hair and brown eyes. And she was just, she was such a little cutie. So Amy went on with her school day as normal. But this day, her class had an assembly to talk about stranger danger. And Lieutenant Mark Spatzel gave the Bay Village Middle Schoolers this speech on this day, which strangely just happened to take place on the day that Amy went missing. So at the time, Mark Spatzel was like a young cop in like just kind of starting out. So he gave this talk on stranger danger to the kids. That is crazy. And later he would be investigating Amy's disappearance and murder. And he would no. eventually go on to be the police chief of Bay Village for a little bit, too. So wow. it's pretty just the weirdest coincidence of it, all time. Yeah. Yes. And she was 10 years old. Yeah, she was 10. Okay. And, and it's even weirder once I go on and like tell the story. But it like is just so creepy that they had this stranger danger talk on this specific day, considering what I'm about to say. Yeah. So around 310 to 314, Jason, who uh, I think was like 12 or 13 at the time, arrived home to the Mihalovic household and called Margaret to let her know that he made it home, but that Amy wasn't there and was late. But Margaret told Jason that Amy told her earlier that morning that she was auditioning for the fifth grade choir and not to worry and that she would just be back later in a little while. But there actually was no fifth grade choir audition and amy actually made this up no i know and instead she started walking to the bay square shopping center and she left her bike at her middle school and she had told her friends that a man called her on the phone and told her that he worked with her mom and oh, that fuck. i know I this know. case yeah okay i yeah yeah. It's coming back to me. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this man called her and told Amy that he worked with Margaret and that she just got in a big promotion at work. And he told Amy that he wanted to take her on a shopping spree to pick out a gift for her mom for getting this promotion and maybe pick out a little gift for herself too for helping him out. And of course... The man told Amy that this get-together had to be secret because it was supposed to be a surprise. And Margaret later said that Amy wouldn't do anything without asking permission. So this was really a strange thing that Amy did. But then she said that she would pretty much do anything when it came to trying to please her mom. So I guess it makes sense. And Margaret said, unfortunately, it's that love, that trust, that caring that was her downfall. And like I said before, Amy and her mom were very close. So this makes sense that she just loved her mom so much. She just wanted to make her feel congratulated for getting a promotion. Yeah. Which is just so sad. Jason said that he and Amy were both taught the safety rules. Like, don't talk to strangers and don't get into the cars of people that you don't know. And Jason said that Amy was naive, but not stupid. Like, she was a very smart kid. She was in the gifted program at her school. She, you know, she was very smart. 
Amy arrived at Bay Square Shopping Center where she was supposed to meet up with this man and she gets there around 2.15 p.m. and she was waiting by a light pole. And soon enough, witnesses say that they saw a man approach Amy, put his hand on her shoulder, and just lead her through the parking lot of the shopping plaza. And unfortunately, this would be the last time that anyone saw Amy alive. At the time, this man didn't really raise any red flags in the shopping center. Yeah. Because it was mostly, like, adults doing their own thing and Amy's classmates that were there. And they all pretty much assumed that this man was just Amy's dad. Uh, because Amy talked to him like normal. She didn't seem scared or stressed or anything. Because your number one kind of question is she went to that assembly earlier about stranger danger. Mm-hmm. But she didn't think of this person as a stranger. No. So, I mean, I'll get into this yeah. a little bit later. But police think that this man like had some sort of knowledge about the Mahalovic family that made yeah. Amy trust, trust him. Trust him. Yeah. Uh. So, no one really intervened to stop this because everyone just thought it was her dad or someone that she knew. How scary. Isn't that terrifying? Yes. So, during this whole time that Amy's at the shopping plaza being abducted and she doesn't even realize that she's being abducted. And no one does. And there's this many witnesses. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jason's still at home. And he's wondering where the heck Amy's at. Yeah. So around 3.30 p.m., he calls his mom again and tells her that Amy still isn't home. And Margaret starts to gather her things at work and get ready to come home and, you know, figure out what's going on. But she gets a call at work, and it's Amy. Oh. And Margaret told Cleveland Magazine that she asked how... She asked Amy how the tryout went, and she just answered with, okay... And then she asked Amy how she was doing, and Amy said, fine. And obviously, they didn't have, like, caller ID or anything. So, she just assumed that Amy was calling from home, from their house. But she knew something was off because, remember, she called her, like, a little chitter-chatter box. But all she was saying was yeah, one-word answer. Not, she's yeah, not, she's not talking. Really talking. But also good for Jason for being concerned and aware for his sister right yeah not so sweet like it was just such i'm sure just a cemented routine yes that they would get home like he would get home amy would already be there true and they would he would call and be like hey mom i got home like amy's here you know everything's fine so i'm sure this just was so out of the ordinary for them that it immediately caught his attention yeah we now know that amy wasn't home at 3.30 p.m. when this call was made uh, and that it was likely that she was with her abductor when she made the phone call to her mom at work. And Margaret came home from work around 5.30 p.m. because Amy called her and so she thought everything was okay. Yeah. But she got home and Jason told her that Amy still wasn't home. So at this point, Margaret is in complete panic mode and she starts calling Amy's friends, all of their neighbors, and like anyone who knew Amy, anyone who knew the family, thinking about where she could have went. And no one seemed to know where Amy was. No one saw her. No one knew what was going on. I wonder why Amy called her mom. Yeah, I I mean, they still don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of theories as to why 
she would have made that phone call. Yeah. Especially because police do believe that she was in the company of her doctor. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe he was threatening her, saying, like, you need to call your mom, tell her you're okay. Yeah. Or maybe she was like, I need to call my mom. Or, yeah, she's going to get mad gonna at me. Worry where I am. Yeah, yeah. my mom's going to ask where I'm at. Or, like, maybe he wasn't even threatening her at all at that point. Maybe he knew the Mihalovic's routine and knew that she called her mom after school every day. And he was like, okay, you're going to call your mom and tell her that everything's okay. And then we're going to go on a shopping trip. Yeah, because besides her being quiet and not very talkative, she didn't, her mom didn't. Yeah, she didn't notice raise any that alarm. she was, yeah, in danger or anything. No, she didn't try to, you know, say, mom, I'm you know in a bad situation yeah nor did her did she sound scared or right unsu- yeah so i i don't know it, the police are still trying to figure out the logistics of this phone call they I'm think sure. maybe it was a payphone. maybe it was outside of a hotel or gas station or something or maybe it was at this man's house like we we have no idea because remember yeah. they don't have cell phones oh yeah it has to be at some sort of landline uh, so no one seemed to know where Amy had gone. So Margaret decided to drive by Amy's school to see if she just got caught up there, if she was hanging out with some friends and caught or lost track of time, rather, or literally anything to explain why Amy hadn't come home that day. And unfortunately, as Margaret drove past Bay, Bay Village Middle School, she saw Amy's aquacolor bike sitting by itself in the bike rack. Oh, and Margaret was absolutely crushed. And she said, I never said it, but that bike, I was sick. I was shaking. I knew something terrible had happened to Amy. I can't imagine. Right. Like, because, I mean, if she would have taken her bike, at least you would have known that she, you know, went somewhere. But, yeah, her bike was still at the school. Just, I can't imagine, like, the sinking feeling that you have to feel knowing that, like, just knowing in your gut that something really bad happened. I know. So... Margaret wasted no time, and she headed directly to the Bay Village Police Department to report Amy as missing, and she did that just before 6 p.m. that night, and the case officer, Barbara Slepke, Slepke, hey girl, shout out, she (laughs) took Margaret very seriously and immediately classified Amy's disappearance as an abduction. They didn't say that she was a runaway, they definitely immediately knew that something was wrong here and mark spetzel who gave the talk on stranger danger to amy's class that day was just a patrolman in 1989 but he remembers margaret coming into the police station and remembers immediately getting to work to try to find her and he said that they had amy on the 11 o'clock news that very night and i said this earlier but mark spetzel actually became the chief of police in bay village years later and like was the lead investigator on this case for a while too so he was this was very important to him i love that they took immediate action oh yeah right i mean that's something that you don't unfortunately hear very often in cases like this um especially when they're children yes and in the 80s yeah Um, but wow yeah mark said that you know given the time if it was a 16 year old girl maybe they wouldn't have taken as much action as they did but because she was so young that's true they said you know this isn't right there's something going on 
and thank God that they started when they did because you know the first 24 hours of a child abduction is very very crucial uh so obviously this was very important and very scary to the police and the community of bay village because things like this just didn't happen there ever ever they they had never had a child abduction in bay village in the history of bay village it just was unheard of so they were prepared i think but i don't know if they were you know ready for the investigation that was about to come because how could you be no i mean after never having dealt with something like this before mark maholovic arrived home around 6 p.m and he was told that his daughter was missing and he immediately got to work trying to search for her and he said that the police were there and they went all over the house top to bottom searching for her and that they searched the ravine which is like the one that runs into lake erie and they walked the entire thing every inch calling her name and all units were dispatched and search parties began that very day And this is when Amy's friends revealed to the police that Amy had been getting phone calls from a man claiming to work Uh, with her mother. So her once her friends found out that Amy went missing, they, you know, came to the police and told them this information, which is obviously crucial to the investigation. Because now, yeah, they know that someone lured her there. She wasn't, you know, this wasn't just a grab and go type of thing. Like no one just randomly abducted her like she was chosen yeah and because her friends came forward and told her that or told the police that amy had been getting phone calls also i want to clarify i don't know for certain if she got multiple phone calls we know for facts that she got just one yeah but i don't i don't think anyone knows if she got more than one phone call so i just want to throw that out there because i said getting phone calls but i just want to let everyone know i don't know if it was multiple So, obviously, with this information, it didn't take long at all for the police to realize what Amy's plan had been for after school that day. She wasn't ever going to a choir audition. She went to go meet up with this man who she thought was a family friend or thought that knew her mother and was going to go shopping with him. So, the FBI was contacted within 14 hours of Amy's disappearance, which is insane. Yeah. Quick. Yes. And the FBI investigation was led by Special Agent Dick Wren and his partner, Special Agent Gary Bellomini. That night, I just can't imagine how, like, heartbroken and stressed and anxious and just upset that Mark and Margaret were that night. And they said that they just slept by the phone waiting for someone to call them and tell them that they found Amy. I can't, uh, I can't even imagine anything worse. That, no. So I awful. I literally can't imagine. Especially after knowing that, you know, she was... I think it just is so heartbreaking that she was lured there. Like, she genuinely thought that she was going to be helping her mom. Which makes me so upset because she just loved her mom so much. Like, she, yeah. she always asked permission to go everywhere. Yeah. She always made sure that her parents knew where she was. But, I mean, because this man said that it was a surprise. And she wanted to do something nice for her mom. 
she just didn't tell them but good thing that she did tell her friends at yeah, school that's though so good unfortunately the call saying that they found amy would not come for quite a while and during this time police looked into these phone calls that amy had gotten but obviously it was 1989 so they couldn't just pull phone records or you know anything like that and there was only records of long distance calls so they investigated these long distance calls because i think at the time didn't you have to like pay for them or something yeah yeah so that's the only reason why there's records of long distance calls yeah so they asked the maholovics about the long distance calls on their phone but they went through them each like each and every one and they cleared them so this meant that the man who called Amy was local. Local. Mm-hmm. And there was no CCTV cameras at the time in the shopping plaza, except for one inside of the bank. So that wasn't helpful at all. So there's absolutely no footage of anything, of any of this happening. I mean, this is not a crime that could happen today the way it did no i i honestly believe not because there would be security cameras yeah and the minute that this child is taken i mean those things would be pulled phone records yeah there would be cctv footage exactly it just couldn't happen it happened this way an abduction couldn't happen this way yeah i mean just the phone records you would immediately see it yeah so all police had to go off of were witness statements, which is always very tricky and hard because, I mean, you're going off of memory and human memory isn't always reliable. It's not. At all. So this is hard, but there were a few witnesses that came forward with descriptions of the man that talked to Amy in the plaza that day. And the police quickly drew up composite sketches of this man and got out a flyer with a composite sketch and a description and the witnesses said that this man was a white male between i saw 25 and 45 i saw so many different age ranges yeah that like i i couldn't even generalize like there was just i mean 25 to 45 is just so yeah big that's that's a big that could be anyone yeah, it could be a lot of people. He was between 5'8 and 5'10 with a medium build. And he had dark hair, which was possibly curly, with a bald spot, like kind of on the crown of his head, the top back of his head. He had trace a trace of beard growth. And he was possibly wearing round glasses and a tan jacket. There were witnesses that said they remembered glasses. And then there were some that didn't remember glasses. So they drew one with glasses and one without i mean if he's it how like how local could he be because if he was so local and this is a small town right doesn't everyone pretty much know everyone? somebody wouldn't it be so easy that someone could recognize him or right well i mean i'll get into like theories in my theory later but yeah i think he was local but maybe not living in bay village maybe living like in adjacent town but like yeah worked in bay village that's true or he could have been really secluded he didn't go out a lot yeah right 
So the police also gave a behavioral profile of this suspect, which was interesting for 1989. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, you know, come on, criminal minds. <laughs> they told the public to pay attention to those around them to see if anyone knew anyone that changed their behavior around the time that Amy disappeared. For example, changing their appearance, starting to drink excessively, changing their work habits, all that kind of thing yeah. that, you know, someone would probably go through if they had just murdered a young girl. Richard McIntosh, who is a retired police captain, said that they were looking for someone who probably lacked self-esteem and has to gain control through the use of force and violence, which I thought was interesting because, I mean, he didn't really seem to showcase that in the witness statements, but maybe it just has to do with the type of person who goes after kids in maybe. that way. I mean, that's definitely probably very true. Uh, the police also said that he wouldn't fit in with those around him, uh, especially women, and people who knew him probably would describe him as odd or difficult. They said that he probably held a semi-skilled job, but moved in between, or moved between jobs often, and that he probably lived alone or moved around a lot, and it was very unlikely that he was in a successful marriage or had any sort of home or family life kind of deal. And the police also believe that this man was local, obviously, and really knew his way around Bay Village in Northeast Ohio, and that he had knowledge of the Mihalovic family somehow. Because I couldn't confirm this, but I think Margaret either actually did get a promotion, or she kind of changed positions at the magazine that she was working at so it could seem as if it was a promotion to a young girl so uh, the police believe that this man knew about the Mahalovic family like more in depth than just randomly calling up Amy one day which is is creepy that's creepy and crazy creepy So throughout the coming weeks, thousands of tips would come into police, but nothing concrete was found, and searches continued, missing flyers were being passed out and hung up around Ohio, Bay Village, and beyond that, like throughout the nation, even other countries, this was like a huge search. Like everyone in Bay Village was determined to find Amy. The amount of like volunteers that rallied around the Mahalovics was like insane i can only imagine especially because it was such a small town everyone yeah. was like okay we gotta find this girl like this shit does not a happen here old child and just the whole story behind it and the fact that so many um officials are involved the fbi and the police are working together they've right. developed this psychological profile of who this person could be it's local all this weird evidence they already are able to build up yeah i can only imagine just how the community yeah was affected by this i mean this case was national but i do want to say it happened very very close to the time that jacob wetterling was abducted and murdered and that case also gained a lot of attention too so i feel like perhaps jacob's abduction and murder kind of overshadowed amy's a little bit not to say that 
there weren't like millions of people looking for her yeah but i mean that is just creepy and strange too that two child abduction and murders happened in october of 1989 that gained national attention but i mean despite that everyone is still determined to find amy and amy's birthday december 11th came and went and amy was still missing and 1990 came and Amy was still missing. Wow. I know. Her case was featured on America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries, and yet there was still no answer. So this was very, you know, they were pushing it in the media. They were trying yeah. to get answers. I mean, the community was just so determined to find Amy that everyone really rallied around the Mahalovics and felt like they knew Amy and just wanted to find her safe. So they distributed tens of thousands of missing posters and told news outlets and radio stations and newspapers and anyone that they could about Amy's story and tried to keep her in the media as much as possible. But unfortunately, everyone's worst fears came true on February 8th, 1990, and Amy's body had been found. Around 7 a.m. on February 8th, 1990, a jogger named Janet Siebold had been jogging along County Road 1181 in Ruggles Township in Ashland County, Ohio, when she saw just kind of like a flash of green in a field that was very close to the road. And this was the body of Amy Mahalovic. Uh, Ashland County is like... 50 miles away from bay village so like you know an hour's drive at least invisible from the road yeah she was positively identified at the scene and the news was given to the mahalovic family by officers jim tompkins dick wren and bay village police chief garrow and reverend tom madden of the bay presbyterian church and Amy's body was quickly taken to the coroner's office for an autopsy done by Cuyahoga County Coroner Elizabeth Bellage. She was found wearing the clothes that she had been wearing the day of her abduction, but the police believe that she was undressed and redressed. And there was trigger warning because it was not a fun thing to say. But there was blood in her underwear, which police believe belonged to Amy, and they believe that she was probably sexually assaulted. Her cause of death was determined to be multiple stab wounds to the left side of her neck and blunt force trauma to her head. She was probably murdered within hours or days of her abduction due to the state of decomposition that her body was in. This is just so... It's just so sad. It's just so, so terrible. Heartbreaking. Amy had eaten before she was killed, as the coroner found a soy substance in her stomach that might have been Chinese food or an artificial chicken product. She um, was found without some items that have never been found to this day, and those were her white windbreaker, her horse head earrings, her book bag with her Buick best-in-class folder and notebook given to her father still inside and her black ankle boots the police collected a green curtain and green blanket that were found about a thousand feet away from her body and they did this you know in 1990 not even knowing if they were connected to amy whatsoever and it wouldn't be until 2016 that the police 
found out that the green curtain and blanket had the fur of the Mahalovic's family dog, Jake, on them, confirming that these items were related and connected to Amy's death. Which is so crazy. I think, I mean, I read this like in one article. I'm not sure if this is true, but the public didn't know about these, like the curtain and the blanket, but the Mahalovic's did. And they said like it that Margaret might have recalled seeing them in their house. But, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense because Jason was there, like, the entire day. And she doesn't remember Amy leaving the house with them in the morning. So, that is we. I remember that evidence coming out in mm-hmm. 2016. Because I, I have, like, heard about this case. Weird, just... That's weird. Isn't it? Like, yeah. And it was like, I mean, a thousand feet from her body. Like, it was kind of far. It was revealed in 2021 that Amy's hair was also on both of these items as well. And this really cemented this as key evidence in the case. Bay Village Sergeant Jay Ellish, who I think is now currently the um, chief at the Bay Village Police Department, stated that our theory is that they were used to wrap her in before she was dumped where she was found. But the person, the killer, took them from their home? I I mean, I don't know. It has her dog's hair on it and her own hair on it, so she was... I mean, I'm guessing she probably was just wrapped in it. Oh. um, Because... Amy probably but had her dog's hair. the curtains didn't belong to the family. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Margaret gotcha. said that she might have seen them, but she doesn't remember Amy having them ever. Oh, okay. So it was yeah. probably just used. Yeah. And she, like, Amy could have dog hair on her. Exactly, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the police also believe that the items were homemade and actually made out of a bedspread. The curtain is 27 inches by 68 inches. There were fibers found on Amy's body that seemed to be consistent with fibers that are found on the carpeting of a General Motors car, specifically an Oldsmobile with a gold or tan interior. So they believe that she was taken into a car. Yeah. Which makes sense because she was found 50 miles away from her hometown. Yeah. Unfortunately, Margaret and Mark got divorced two years after Amy was found. And Margaret actually had a pretty bad drinking problem and she developed lupus um and she passed away in 2001 at the age of 54 and she never found out what happened to her daughter which is so heartbreaking i know in november of 2006 the police released a press release and informed the public that they believe that other girls had also received similar phone calls to the one that amy received around the time that amy went missing Wow. So these girls lived in the North Olmsted area of Ohio, which is pretty close to Bay Village, um, not far at all. And the police revealed that these girls who had received the phone calls had also visited the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center, which I said is somewhere that Amy really liked to go. Yeah, okay. In 1989, there was a logbook by the front door of the Nature and Science Center. And this would be like, you know things that visitors would sign and 
The police thought that maybe the girls left personal information in this logbook, maybe their names, their phone numbers, their addresses, which would make it easy for somebody creepy to come along and rip it out or copy it down and give these girls a call. Yuck. Isn't that just literally the grossest thing you've ever heard in your life? Like I said earlier at the beginning, this is unfortunately still unsolved, but there have been, I mean, hundreds of suspects. This is one of those cases that it just blows your mind that it's not Not solved, solved. right? Yeah. It just blows your mind. I, I mean, the the police have DNA, but it's not DNA that you can just run through CODIS and just get a hit. Like, it's yeah. very fragile DNA that they need to be careful with what they test it. You know, what what they do to it, because it will be gone. Once it's tested, it's destroyed. It's done, yeah. yeah. So, they really don't have... Like, they'd have to find a suspect first and then cross-reference the DNA with the suspect. Gotcha. Like, that's the kind of DNA that they have. They're not very specific about what it is, but... Like, it just isn't... With the technology that we have, it's just not really possible to, you know, plug it into a computer and get a name. But, I mean, they have been through hundreds of suspects. And there are some that really could fit the description of the man who took Amy. And, obviously, this is a small town, so rumors run rampant. Yeah. So, these are going to just be, like, a few of the people that were hot on police's radar and that a lot of the people in bay village believe could have something to do with it okay um first the police looked to the stable that amy used to frequent when she was horseback riding and caring for her horses which was holly hills and according to james renner who wrote the book amy my search for her killer which i really recommend reading james renner was also the same age as amy in cleveland in 1989 so he wow. yeah he took it upon himself to really investigate this and search for who killed amy so he i think this is the only book that has been published about the case so he did like a lot of digging like he spent his entire life writing this book and trying to figure out who killed that's amy, amazing isn't it so i really recommend reading it Especially if you want more in-depth information about the investigation and, you know, like, things about the case that just this episode would be eight parts long if I included everything. Um, I recommend reading that if you want to know more. James Renner says that the suspect at Holly Hills was a paranoid, schizophrenic Vietnam War veteran who lived at the farm in the apartment above the garage and he would clean out stables and his sister owned the farm. Okay. And his name was Harold H.B. Bound. Renner says that this man was one of the FBI's top suspects for a while, mainly because he really creeped out a lot of the girls who rode there, and he'd wear camouflage and wander through the woods with his bow and arrow and just say some things that the girls really thought were off-putting. Yeah. And a lot of the girls there just assumed that he was the one who did it. He was a gun enthusiast and owned a lot of weapons. And within a week of Amy's disappearance, 
he checked himself into the mental ward at Veterans Administration Hospital in Brexville, which is where my dad worked when I was growing up. So, <laughs> really? <shout> Brexville. <laughs> Apparently, he knew who Amy was and kind of kept an eye on her when she was at the stable. The man recalled a specific time when Amy's mother was kind of upset with her and dropped her off at Holly Hills and kind of like threw her shoes out the window. And the man went up to Amy and asked if she needed help putting on her boots, which I mean, inherently isn't creepy in itself, but like put in the context of everything. Maybe that's a little weird. True. Okay. Yeah. He didn't have an alibi for the day that Amy went missing and he came back to the barn late that night according to his brother, who also lived there, I guess. Uh, So police kept a close eye on him, and he was surveilled and investigated for months, but they just didn't find anything to link him to Amy. I just feel like if he was investigated that deeply, they'd find something. Right. If he was it, if he were the person. Right. FBI uh, Special Agent Dick Wren said in 1999, he didn't do it. I'm as certain as I can be in an uncertain uncertain world. But James Renner, I guess, tracked down HB at a halfway house near Cleveland's west side. And HB claimed that the FBI gave him sodium pentanol, pentothal, which is truth serum, I guess. Okay. Since he probably knew how to beat a lie detector test due to his Vietnam War experience. And Renner says that the FBI allegedly, this is what Renner says, admitted to giving the suspect truth serum, which ruled him out of being Amy's killer. What? Yeah, I don't know Uh, how true this is. I mean, Uh, I guess. I mean, the FBI and CIA were doing some crazy stuff in the 70s, 80s, 60s, all back then. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's very true. And plus, they kind of like stopped, you know, they, they... said that he didn't do it, so I guess they, they knew one way or another that he didn't do it. But HP Bound was kind of just a very a very big and local rumor, as all the girls just kind of assumed that he did it because he just was the creepy guy at the stable. I mean, it makes sense how, uh, how that could build. And he could be a weirdo. He could be a creep, but I could understand if people had this intuition about them that he was unsettling he gave them the creeps of course they would wonder right and then believe it even another suspect that people really strongly believe that amy's that may be amy's killer is a man named billy strunak he was from fairview park and he got really involved with amy's case very early on He immediately started volunteering to help find Amy, despite only vaguely knowing Margaret. But he got really into it, and he immediately started passing out posters and making flyers and doing searches. So, I mean, I mean, you can't really say for certain that that's weird, but I wonder if psychologists, the FBI, thought that their kind of profile of him would be the type to inject himself into an investigation. True. Yeah. He sent Margaret two decorative pins through the mail, one for her and one for Amy when she returned. It turns out these pins were actually stolen from Billy's place of work, which was BJ's Wholesale Club. 
Not to be confused with BJ's restaurant with the bazookies. <laughs> Not the same place. I found that out after someone asked me about the BJ's coming to Hermitage. And I said, the BJ's? And they were like, you know what a BJ's is? And I was like, yeah, the bazookies? And they were like, no. <laughs> the place where you buy groceries. And I was like, uh-huh. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously the police thought that this was a bit suspicious as he kind of interjected himself into the investigation and he was really trying to get personal with the Mahalovics themselves right out of the gate. Like, this, that was weird. Uh, so they started investigating him. And Billy had some emotional and medical issues, I guess, so the police just didn't really think that he was mentally capable of carrying out an attack as vicious as Amy's. But about two weeks after Amy's body was discovered, Billy Strunak actually committed suicide. And he did this by drinking ethanol, which is the weirdest way, I think, to kill, to kill yourself. That's not quick. Like, your insides are, like, disintegrating at, like, by days. Ooh. Like, that's... <laughs> like, it gives me the... Ugh. Yeah, what a way to kill yourself. Right. So, because he did this, this immediately shifted public opinion. And now everyone thought that Billy Shunak killed himself because he was guilty. But police searched his home and all of his stuff and they just didn't find any evidence to support that he ever even came into contact with Amy. There is though a local rumor that the Strunak family was able to come and clean up some of his belongings before the police were able to search his home but I don't know if this is you know confirmed. A lot of this case in the like suspect realm is very you know, local rumor filled because, you know, it's a small town. Everyone wants to know what happened. So, and it's just so long ago, but I mean, still a lot of people think that him killing himself was a sign of guilt, but I mean, there just isn't any evidence to support that he ever even knew Amy at all. So I just, I don't, I mean, this poor man probably was just struggling with some mental health issues. The last suspect that I'm going to talk about came about in 2019 and might just hold some weight um at least the police think so that's recent oh very recent i mean the last like like statements by the police came about in 2021 like they are still hardcore working this case like this is wide open still the ex-girlfriend of a man named Dean Runkel came forward to police in 2019 and told them that she believes that her ex-boyfriend may have killed Amy. The two were together during the time of Amy's kidnapping and murder and lived only about a mile and a half from the shopping center where Amy was abducted. The ex-girlfriend told police that Dean had family that worked at the shopping plaza, so he was very familiar with the area and he had a niece that was the same age as Amy in the same grade. She says that on the night that Amy was kidnapped, Dean never came home that night. And this was super uncharacteristic of him. And he even called his ex-girlfriend around 10 p.m. that night and asked if she had seen any news about the disappearance of a girl named Amy Mahalovic. But remember, The public didn't 
really know much about it until the 11 o'clock news coverage of it that night. Oh. So how, oh. how did he know about that that early? Yeah, if that's how it happened, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, that was like, thir- she's telling police this like 30 years later, so, but still. Right, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm like, okay, like, why'd you wait so long? Why, why'd you wait so long? If you suspect something, please, please. Just say something. Say something. You can do it anonymously, girl. Yeah. So this woman also says that the couple went to Ashland County on more than one occasion, which is where Amy's body was found. Dean actually owned a gold-colored Oldsmobile during the time that Amy was murdered, Ugh. which, again, is the kind of car that they believe that Amy was led to and was inside of. The only thing that sounds stupid to me or just doesn't add up to me is why, if this, if Dean did it, which a lot of it sounds like he, to me so far, out of all the suspects, I would lean towards him. Or I'm more sus about him. Yeah. Why would he target a girl outside the supermarket of his family that his family owned or ran or worked at? Right? I don't know. I think that was just saying like, like he was familiar with the it. area. Yeah. But I just feel like that would be stupid on his part. I mean, maybe he knew the schedule. Maybe the uh, family yeah. member wasn't working that day. Yeah. Or maybe like. It wouldn't have been yeah, weird it doesn't, for it him doesn't, to be um, there. Whatever. You know what I mean? It doesn't, like, make it impossible or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I just think, yeah, it connects him there. And it also, like, if his family member did happen to see him there, like, it wouldn't have been weird for him to be there, like, during that time. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Also, he kind of resembles the composite sketches. I know the police said, like, you know, take them with a grain of salt because a yeah. lot of the people that you know i'm that gave descriptions of this man were children and people who you know weren't really looking so i mean take that with a grain of salt also he was seen at the dump site the day that amy's body was found you're what an officer was stationed at an intersection near where amy's body was dumped because you know, police know that people who are creepy and gross and nasty and murder people like to go back to their crime scenes. So this officer wrote down every license plate that went through this intersection that day after they found Amy's body. And Dean Runkle's car was one of those license plates. And there was no reason that he should have been in Ashland County that day. So obviously, the police interviewed him. And he made some comments that didn't sit right with investigators and a lot of people who found out about this case. And he said that 1989 and 1990 were very dark times in his life. When asked if he knew Amy or the Mahalovics or ever spoke to them, he said that he might have met Margaret at a bar. And if he talked to Amy on the phone, it was because he thought he was talking to Margaret. What? Like what? You're just gonna mistake a ten year old's like voice that, too, right? Like he's being so fucking why, weird. It, like, if you did it, why would you say that? If you didn't do that, why would you say that? Right? Like he's making himself sound so bad. <laughs> but like, I, I just want to say, a ten year old's voice and a like grown woman's voice on the phone sound very, very, yeah, very different. No, 
Like, you did not mistake. Like, he's trying I'm to sorry. give himself, like, an out for talking to Amy on the phone. He could have just as easily said he'd never. Right? I don't know why he's saying shit like that. Why is he... Because then, in his mind, he has talked to them. Right? So, the investigators asked if Amy had ever been in his car. And Dean said, okay, but I don't know what the situation would have been. Is he okay mentally? Like, sir, are you stupid or are you dumb? Uh, Is he... What? Like, obviously, it sounds like he's trying to give himself an out of if there is any evidence of him. What's his name? Dean. Dean Runkle. Is the police sketch online? Yes. Is Dean Runkle's face online? Yes. Can I look him up? They will be on the Instagram. Don't worry. Yeah, look him up. They look exactly this. That's him? That's Dean Runkle? Yeah, that's Dean Runkle. And that's the police sketch. Yes, sir. They look exactly the same. Right. I don't believe in coincidences in this case. But that's a little weird. I mean, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. True. In a court of law. True. Let's be real here. I'm very sus. The police asked him. Would your, you know, would your DNA be at the crime scene by chance? And he said, you know, it's possible, but only because someone planted it there. Like, what the fuck? I'm sitting here looking at this guy's stupid face and imagining him saying those words. Like, you've got to be dumb. Like, what? Like, like, why are you saying that? It's possible, but someone planted it there. Like, is it there or not? Why if are you, you making it sound it, like it is there? It's Right? If you didn't do it, just say no. So he actually um, willingly submitted his DNA to the police, and he took a polygraph test, which, unsurprisingly, he failed. But you can only take those with a grain of salt. Yeah. So... On... For me, on a personal level, like, it doesn't really sway me ever. Yeah. Uh, if someone fails or not. I, I don't know. It, I just... I don't... They're not very... They're not reliable at all. Reliable. No. But they're inter- it's interesting, but... It's an interesting thing. It's a little suspicious, but not really at all, because I feel like, I mean... I think about this all the time. If I had to take a polygraph, I'd be fucking, my heart be racing. I know. I my, know I would fail. I would fail. Because I would refuse. I'm like, if I ever am asked to take one, I'm going to refuse. Yeah. Because I know. They can only make you look I worse. have anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely don't do well under pressure. I don't do well, like in interviews or any kind of like, yeah, I just wouldn't, I know I would fail. Right, I feel like I would fail. I mean, like, I can't so imagine myself not failing a polygraph test. Honestly, I would recommend anyone to always refuse. Yeah, you a don't polygraph. have to take it, and it does look suspicious. But it looks way more suspicious to the public, to the media. Yeah, and that's really usually what controls kind of the direction of a case and who the police focus on sometimes Mm -hmm. but Um, i want to do say though it does also suck that if you refuse a polygraph it also looks like you're hiding something true but 
you can always just be like, they're not admissible in court, and it's just going to make me look bad either way. So, uh, so he submitted his DNA, took the polygraph, he failed it. And after this, Dean was supposed to go back to the police station and give investigators permission to search his storage unit. But unsurprisingly, he never showed up. But the police did get a warrant, and they went and they searched, and they found some items of interest that they took, but they never released what these were unfortunately and i also just think this girlfriend of dean has to really believe this or has to really suspect it or else she wouldn't have come forward after 30 years right i mean i don't know like how long ago these two were together but i mean like if he did have a tendency of being violent maybe she didn't come forward for that reason that or in denial there's a yeah. lot of reasons why someone wouldn't want to name someone that they were suspicious of someone because no one wants to believe that oh yeah no es- especially for, from someone they're seeing absolutely not so i mean i get it but also i wish also please uh, yeah well, i wish you would have came forward 30 years ago in 2020 he was picked out of a photo photo lineup twice by witnesses who were there in 1989. I mean, I would pick him out too. So that looks bad. He looks exactly like the police sketch. Dean apparently, allegedly, I think, was a teacher at the time of Amy's murder. And allegedly, he was caught writing love letters to underage students. So that's a little icky. And apparently he volunteered at the Lake Erie's Nature and Science Center. Where they think that they got the phone number. I'm sorry, he was writing love letters to children? And he's not in jail? No. He was never arrested. And now he's living in Florida. Why why are they not gathering his DNA? Well, they have it. Okay. But, I mean... Again, I don't, I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand how DNA works. I don't even know what it is, really. So I want, I, I was trying to, I wanted to kind of explain, but I don't really know. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. Yeah. I think they're trying, I think they're waiting for a like new type of like mitochondrial DNA analysis kind of technology to get better so they can take the DNA that they do have from Amy and like, cross-reference it because again they have to be like really particular about what they use it for so he's not ruled out no he's I don't still think so. suspect no uh, yeah i think he's still suspect i think and he's like the they prime. just don't have they the don't have enough to, to prove get him because all of this is circumstantial yeah all of it except for the items of interest in his storage unit which i don't know what i guess they were. can't connect his phone number no his landline to no oh yeah they couldn't get record of local calls yeah damn it right so i mean he's still the prime suspect there's just nothing it's not like but there's no smoking gun you know what i mean like back then in the 80s there's only so much evidence they can gather yeah like they don't have the murder weapon they don't have you know his car he doesn't they haven't found anything like trophies or something they haven't did they search they searched his his storage unit and that's it yeah Yeah. as far as i know but they 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 found stuff but they won't say what it is 
Because I feel like if it was, right? I feel like if it was the the things that Amy was missing when her body was found, it would be an immediate arrest. So because I, this is like two years on, three years gotta on. He's got to be it. There's, I just don't understand how he couldn't be the person with how weird his answers in the interview and then the fact that he's writing love letters to children and he's creep. a teacher so he wanted to surround himself with teachers or kids creep absolute creep and there's the curtain i wonder if so the curtain can't be connected to him i don't know i guess not i mean and he had a gold car gold interior cars <laughs> yeah i got so excited i like <laughs> i'm like waving my hands around because i'm so frustrated that he's not in jail well, I could not find where she found this information at, but Miss Kendall Ray, which I got a lot of information from, but I could not. I th- this is how I know this case then, because of Kendall Ray. Yeah. Kendall Ray. Um, she said that a piece of tape was found by Amy's body with three hairs on it that did not come from anyone in the Mahalovic family. Um, I literally could not corroborate this at all. I don't know where the hell she got this, but I'm hoping... They can pluck some hairs from Mr. Runkle's head and boom, there's your DNA. So, like I said, there was hundreds of suspects interviewed by police and tens of thousands of tips that were followed up on and DNA evidence that we don't know what it is specifically, but they have it utilized and tested, but there's still no answers as to who killed Amy Mahalvik. And the case is still open and ongoing, and there's currently a $50,000 reward for information leading to the person who kidnapped and murdered Amy. So, if you know anything, please visit www.cityofbayvillage.com to submit a tip sheet. Or call the Bay Village Police at 440-871-1234 because... This can be solved. I really truly believe. It literally believe can be solved. If it is Dean or whoever it is, somebody knows something. Like somebody yes. knows something about this case or suspects something enough where they could come forward with any information, any kind of connection because somebody did it. And if it was Dean and his girlfriend was sus about it, somebody else has to be. Right. I also think like whoever did it, I mean, it might have been their first time killing somebody, maybe not, but I'm sure that they told somebody. Or they said something suspicious to somebody and they, you know, or they they saw the trophies that they took, that he took from Amy and it just Well, I think it's Dean. I I try not to, when I'm researching these cases or giving them or hearing them from Emily, I try not to like just point fingers at anyone because everyone's innocent until proven guilty and I would never want to um accuse accuse someone innocent of something that terrible because that's sick and twisted but he's fucking writing love letters to children I really don't care about his feelings yeah that's really gross the circumstantial evidence against him is freaking stacked yeah that's why was he in Ashland County the day that Amy's body was missing. Like, why was he there? He didn't live there. And why is he, like, not denying that he's talked to the mother, right? which fits? Because he would have had to have known details about, about her, the family or the mother or the mother's job or work. 
he's attached to the nature center, which attaches not only Amy, but these other girls who receive similar phone calls, which means he tried it. Yeah, he tried on other girls. And it just it only worked on Amy. I don't know, like Right. I doubt he's only committed this crime once, but maybe he did because he almost got caught. Maybe. But I I just I think the phone call thing is just too eerie. Like multiple girls got the same phone call. And it just happened to work on Amy. And that's just super unfortunate and fucked up but i think this guy probably tried it again absolutely P- people like this don't do it just once no i know i just said the amount of only done <laughs> once but they don't yeah they're sick or maybe he did it before amy maybe they just haven't connected it i don't know but that was the unsolved murder of amy mahalovic it's frustrating. It, this one's this frustrating. Case is so solvable. I, I truly believe it'll be solved one day. As soon I think as it will be. As the technology's as, there to like. Yeah. Um, so do the police. They think that as soon as the technology is there, it, it'll be solved. Like they are not packing it up. Like they still have Amy's bike in evidence. Like n- not even like packed up and stored away. Like this shit is like open. Like, they are still constantly looking into this shit. And this guy who did it is just, has just been living his life for the last 33 years. Right. Living life. Ugh. Also, crazy true crime stuff going on in general. They caught the Long Island serial killer? Yeah. What the hell? Um, that's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Carly Russell? Not actually kidnap question mark. No, faked her own kidnapping. Maybe so. Giving Sherry Papini vibes. Yeah. Mm. Weird true crime stuff no. has been going on. Just in the last year or two. Yeah. In general, real. I just it seems like there's one thing after another, and it's like big cases. It's right. Not just. That's why someone's got to call up the Bay Village Police Department and say who killed Amy Maholovic. Yeah, it's time. Wow. Thanks for sharing that case. Absolutely. I've been wanting to do that one for so long. Yeah. Um, I just feel very, like, connected to it because I'm from the same kind of area, Northeast Ohio. Um, And I feel like that could just happen to literally any little girl in Northeast Ohio or anywhere, really. So... It just, I don't know. I, I just wanted to share that story. Aw, Amy, you're such a cute. Isn't she cute? Yeah, she's so cute. Isn't she cute? All right, well, that's it for me. I gotta eat some dinner. Day strange. Stay spooky. We'll see you next time. Bye.